Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah, ve ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, befinu ufi amka b'it Yisrael, v'niye anaknu, v'etza enu, v'etza etza e amka b'it Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka velom de Torateka, lishma, Baruch atah Adonai, Hamlamed Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai. All right, so Parsha told debt. Uh, we're looking at the halakha for the week. So I have the Sar Shalom halakha open. And what I want to point out is this little sub headline that's on every page. It says a guide, say guide, a guide for making Amuna a way of life. So let me tell you about a guide, a person who is a guide. When you have a guide who takes you on, you know, your excursion, right? Does your guide, do you like take it home with, take him home with you? Does he like sleep in your house? Does he like, uh, or this, she, he or she, whatever the person is, you know, obviously, uh, kosher, peer-to-peer kind of stuff. Do you you bring them into your home and do you have them, you know, uh, living life with you on a day-to-day basis? Or, you know, is this guide something to help you navigate, you know, your courses as you come to them. Okay. It's probably a weird way to open that. But what I want to point out. Is this halakha. That we have for Sar Shalom. This is not meant to be. The end all be all. And if I follow the halakha. I'm great. If I don't follow the halakha. I'm great. Or if I don't follow the halakha. Somebody's going to stone me. Or if I exceed the halakha. Then everybody else is going to get stoned by me. Like, it's not either one of those scenarios. First of all, the reason this halakha exists is for an element of unity. If we ever have questions at Sar Shalom about what we need to do and how do we do it and why do we do it, that's what the halakha is here for. It's going to give you some practical steps that you can take. And it's going to help you set a bar. It's going to help you meet a bar if you're below it. And if you're beyond it, you know, keep building, keep, keep progressing. This is not something where, oh, well, the halakha is like 50 feet beneath me now because I've been here 18 years and this halakha hasn't changed. First of all, I don't think anybody will probably have that statement to say because, you know, knowing our leadership, our halakha is going to develop. But anyway, I digress. I want to majorly point out that if you are beneath the halakha and you need to pull yourself up to it, that's what it's for. And if you're on the level of the halakha and you're studying it and you're learning it, that's what it's for. And if you're beyond the halakha, it's also for that fact that you know it, you've been through it. And you can help somebody do it. 
didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I thought about it as I was speaking that, hey, if this rhymes, this will be great that, you know, you can live up to it if you're beneath it. If you're studying and going through it, you know, great. And if you're beyond it, then you can look back to it and help somebody do it. That's what we need to do. We need to be unity, unity, unity. Can't get enough of that. So this week. uh, Oh, and one more thing. While I'm talking about observance levels, when you feel like no one else is on your level. First of all, that's not a good way to have. That's not a good perspective to have because that creates haughtiness on eleven hundred. Like you want to talk about being bitter. You want to talk about being mean spirited. That right there is going to cause it. You're like, I'm on this level. It ain't nobody else around me on this level. And it's like, that's not good, bro, or girl, or sister, or whatever you want to call it, you know, because how did you get there and how long did it take you to get there? Okay. And furthermore, if you're there, how come you're not helping somebody else? How can you spend your time complaining? Also, underneath all that, are you jealous or are you upset because other people are still learning and growing and you feel like you grew faster than them? Because, hmm, in order for you to grow, isn't it Hashem who gives the increase? Because, you know, Shaul was talking about this. He was saying, you know, I, I plant, you know, another one waters, but Hashem gives the increase. In other words, the only reason you've grown is because of Hashem. So really, can you can you be upset and say, uh, I grew twice as fast as those plants over there and those plants are still not even germinating yet. And I germinated, I blossomed, I sprouted, I'm big. It's just like, OK, so the more you keep talking, the more you sound very, very haughty and arrogant. You probably want to work on some meat out right now. You probably want to work on some Musar right now. You probably want to work on some Derek Eretz right now, which if your Derek Eretz is off that bad, mm, you don't really have any Torah because in order for you to have Torah, you have to have Derek Eretz. So just a little warning, just a little heads up to everybody. Because, you know, again, I've been through this, not that I'm using that as seniority or anything, but I remember distinctly the thoughts that went through my head. It literally, it haunts me because I'm like, oh, when I see it, I'm like, oh, I can't believe that's happening to somebody. Oh, I don't, I remember that. Oh my gosh. I start getting like, I need a brown paper bag. I just, I don't, I don't feel good, you know, because you get there, you're like, I've grown, I've put in the time, I've put in the work, how come no one else is? And it's like, that's not what it's all about. If you're willing to work hard and if you're willing to put in the effort, it should be because you love Hashem and it doesn't matter what other people are doing. Because when we start worrying about what other people are doing, then we don't really mean what we're doing. Because if we did, if we meant what we were doing, we would give people their time because in order for other people to be doing what we're doing, they have to have that revelation. They have to be seeking it out. There's nothing worse than we try to force revelation upon somebody. Did you know you should be washing your hands like this because this is how you actually should do it? I've learned this. 
how come you don't know this? Like, that just sounds bad. So anyway, today, this week's halakha, goodness gracious, just unload. I hope everybody's uh, tracking because, you know, we just, I guess we just need to unload. Let them have it, as they would say. All right, so I wanted to talk about tithing, but then I changed my mind. I want to talk about prayer. So since I changed my mind, I'm not going to do what I changed my mind to do, and I'm just going to talk about tithing. So we're going to talk about it. This uh, subject gives people uh, a lot of just kind of like, I cannot believe this. Oh, this is so against what I've learned in the writings. Well, on Pahina 52, page 52, section 4.18, okay, 4.18, here's what it says in the Halakha, page 52. If you need help remembering this, page, or 52 is the Gematria of Ben, which is son. So on the page of the sun, okay, the sun page, it says, The giving of tithes and offerings at Sar Shalom should be a joyful act of worship. If you don't believe in tithing on Shabbat or tithing at all, that first little thing out the gate is going to be a little rough. So the beautiful thing is, is we can continues to make, we can con continuously make teshuva and it can become a joyous act of worship. Second of all, it goes on to say, to that end, we receive them during a special moment in the service whereby we invite families to come forward and deposit their gift. In the Zadaka boxes at the front of the sanctuary. Now, I want you to notice the phraseology. Deposit their gift in the Zadaka box. Didn't say we're paying anything into an ATM. Didn't say we're making a financial transaction. Because if you think making a financial transaction is giving, then... Uh, you know, that's kind of interesting because this is a one-way ticket. We're not receiving anything back from this. Because you realize when you pay for something by making a fi financial transaction, again, this is not me trying to justify, but just the principle. When you make a financial transaction, you, you like receive something. So like, you know, I bought uh, a book. So therefore, I paid money to such organization and they gave me a receipt and said, you know, your book is coming in the mail. So when we talk about we're not to buy and sell and trade on the Shabbat, but yet we pay our tithe. OK, so if we paid our tithe or gave Zadaka and we receive like, OK, because you gave your tithe or you gave your Zadaka, here's your receipt. Thank you for your payment of X amount of money. X amount of money purchases this thing here. So therefore, since you paid your tithe, you bought this. Not you were given this or thank you for giving. Here's something. 
to show our appreciation or anything like that. Like that's the kind of interestingness that begins to surround the conversation. So it goes on to say, of course, families may give whenever they want or whenever they so choose. So when you look at that, I mean, it's just kind of like this picture of, you know, uh, some halak, some halakot say we shouldn't handle money on Shabbat. You know, we don't spend money on Shabbat. We don't touch money on Shabbat or any of that. We don't write checks on Shabbat. It's just kind of like, okay, so here's some practical things that the minka before any upcoming Yom Tov, because by the way, did you know there was a custom already for if you're going to fast, uh, that you need to take the minka the day before your fast to proclaim it in the Amidah? Because there's a whole passage in the Amidah that says in a gray box, if you are willing or if you wish to accept a fast upon yourself, you actually make that declaration before the Shabbat. So that's a beautiful uh, thing that's actually laid down, you know, as far as a custom goes, that if you really wanted to avoid any of the nonchalomeness to your own heart, if that causes a nonchalomeness, like I, I can't touch money on Shabbat. I don't want to go give, you know, money into a Zadaka box. I don't want to write my check. It's like, okay, so Minka the day before Shabbat, go ahead and pay it. So that way, when candle lighting hits and you're into Shabbat and then you get to Shul, you've already paid your tithe. That's one of the things that's on my prerequisites for prep day. Did you pay your tithe? Because it's like, don't even think about lighting candles until you paid your tithe, you know. And that's just something that I do. If I wasn't able to do that, you know, I would go ahead and get my tithe on Shabbat. It just so happens, though, I'm on the worship platform. I won't be able to, per se, go ahead and do that. I mean, I could drop my funds in after the service, you know, because the Zadaka boxes are still available. And, you know, it's not necessarily that I need to be seen giving my Zadaka. You know, so there's all these different facets. But the biggest thing, though, is when you take into consideration that we actually bring an extra offering on Shabbat called the Musaf. And in antiquity, when we were bringing the Corbinot to the temple, that we had a communal offering of the, the morning and the afternoon lamb. We had the Musaf offering. Then we had any other offerings that took place that day. Those were all offered on Shabbat as well. You know, which the Selah to that is those animals literally translate to today's standards by being money by being the financial resources, you know, and so technically we're all paying money on Shabbat is what we're looking at. So uh, I just want to point out that, you know, if you're uneasy about tithing on Shabbat, there are many ways to really do that. And um, some of the things that's important to know, some shuls have where, you know, you pay monthly dues or you pay for your seat, you know, and things like that. And that 
that is in place of the tithe. But you have to really think about this. If you don't pay your tithe and you're focused on paying your synagogue dues, which could be the equivalent or your tithe, maybe more, maybe less. You've now removed yourself from having to say, I, okay, what's my tithe this week? What's my tithe? You're now focused on what's the do, what's the do, what's the do. And, you know, your tithe is rolled into that true. But as far as taking the mental capacity to say, my tithe is such and such, and I will pay this to Hashem. I will pray over it. I will bless it and all of that, as opposed to saying, all right, I paid my monthly dues this week. I do have a chair and all that kind of good stuff. And it's just like, okay, but did you did you tithe to Hashem? Did you mentally, consciously make that effort? You know, and furthermore, when we talk about our children carrying money on Shabbat, they're only carrying their tithe money. And they're only carrying it because they're wanting to take it and put it in the Zadaka box. So if you want to stop people from giving zedakah on Shabbat, that's what you're looking at when you, you know, give the downcastness on why are they paying their tithe on Shabbat? Why are they writing checks on Shabbat? Like all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's just a, a interesting, you know, thing as far as that goes. But... I think it would be really important for us to really grapple with that and get down to the root of things that it's not necessarily that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not okay with tithing on Shabbat and, you know, I'm not okay with tithing at all, or, you know, this is not how other synagogues do it. We have to break out of that, you know, and really focus on what does Hashem really want us to be paying attention to. He desires a DACA. And it's not a violation of buying, selling or trading when we pay our tithe. So. I mean, there's that. <laughs> so anyway, that's on page 52 of the Halakha. Again, the Sar Shalom Halakha is 83 pages. So I would definitely encourage everyone to, you know, read as much of this as you can and, um, you know, take it, take it to heart. Uh, one more thing here before we finish up is page 45. Page 45 gives us a little bit more information on the buying, selling and trading. Because if you go to 4.7.4 on um, page 45, it says this. Offerings and zedakah on Shabbat do not constitute buying and selling. Tithing is not buying and selling. If tithing was buying and selling, then we should be getting some kind of return or some kind of payback for us tithing. Like if I gave $10, then I get such and such product or whatever. But it's like, no, my tithe, first of all, I'm giving back to a shim and I'm not expecting, you know, like anything in return. So there's that. I'm going on to say the prohibition of, 
Let me see. No, let's go down to the second one because this is really getting to the crux of it all. Rabbinic trans- tradition extended this prohibition of buying and selling by forbidding any contact with money on Shabbat. So it's an extended prohibition not to handle any money. This helpful custom reinforced the basic prohibition and fostered an experience of the holiness of the day. This helpful custom reinforced the basic prohibition and fostered an experience of holiness of the day. Okay, so it's like, yeah, it's helpful. It's good. There's nothing wrong with it. It says strict adherence to this halakhic extension would be, of course, ruled out or would, of course, rule out the giving of offerings and zedakah on Shabbat. However, Sar Shalom's Beit Din has determined that giving tithes, offerings and charity on the Shabbat does not violate the Torah's basic prohibition of buying and selling on Shabbat because it is not trading for product. Okay, so that's why we tithe on Shabbat. We're not violating anything of Torah. And it's so important to note that when you're doing halakha, that halakha is not mitzvah. Okay, so if you know that rabbinic tradition puts up a fence that says don't even touch money, just because you've touched money on Shabbat doesn't mean you've broken the Torah. You've only broken Torah, the commandment of God, when you have, you know, um, purchased something. But if you're tithing, you haven't purchased anything. So hopefully that is helpful and Bezrat Hashem you know, that'll be good. So a practical example, you know, myself and some of the other men have had to go through was that, you know, at a Jewish wedding, you don't see, you know, mixed dancing. You see a Makita, you know, you don't uh, have men hoisting up the bride on a chair like that. That's kind of too much and over the top. But yet when we celebrate it with Yaakov and Haya, that you know, everyone was super respectful, even though we had, you know, no Makita. And, you know, we guys fulfill the desire of the bride and the groom. By the way, you don't want to anger a bride or a groom on their wedding day. I mean, you'd, you'd have better chance with a millstone tied around your neck being cast into the Mariana Trench. Like that, that kind of level. So don't ever test a bride or a groom on their wedding day. That's just not good. So, uh, so yeah, so we ended up doing what you would not normally see at a Jewish wedding. And, you know, it worked out great because it was still Shomer Nagia and it was still, you know, respectful. So it's just the nails on the chalkboard of like, oh my gosh, what is this? Why, this doesn't ever happen. And why are we doing it? It's just kind of like, okay, let's get down to the main things here. Okay, if we're upset about this, then there's something going on inside of us that we have to take account of. And then if we're looking to the standard that's placed around us, you know, for things that are 
not that they're not helpful or not that they're not necessary, but if we're looking to these things around us for the ultimate way that we're going to do it, then we've already divorced ourselves from the way that we're being guided to do it. Because again, just like with the paying your dues versus paying your tithe, like take ownership, pay your tithe. Okay, if you're a person who pays dues every every month, you know, to your synagogue or every however you've worked that plan out, you know, Baruch Hashem, you're giving. That's what we need to do. However, don't look down on someone who says, Hashem, I'm paying my tithe. And it just so happens to be Shabbat and I'm still paying. And I'm going to go up here to the Zedakah box with my family and we're going to pray. We are not to look down on that because that is not buying, selling, or trading. That is not a violation of the mitzvah. Now, it's different from the way other synagogues would do it. But if we really spent our lives chasing after what other synagogues were doing, we would not be lapid. So, anyway, on that note, that will conclude our halakhic portion of the week. So, check out pages 45 and pages 52 in the in the uh, Slika, in the Sar Shalom Halakha, and Bezrat Hashem, it is a blessing to you. Alright, so I want to welcome everybody to Parasha Toldot, which I love to refer to as Told That, or Told That. Anyway, so Toldot Go, continuing to get organized and go off. And, uh, yeah, you know, so I want to start off with what I like to call sobriety, because one of the things that constantly happens, if we're not aware of it, every year there are these little drop off vortex points that seem to happen where people get crazy. They get sideways with the community. They want to leave and they do leave or they get highly offended. What do you do in those times? And specifically, when are those times occurring? One of the times that they occur, by the way, is between the high holy days and Hanukkah. At some point in that time frame, somebody is going to leave. Now, chaspe shalom, that that continues to happen. But, you know, it does. And and it's, it's the way of... What's been happening, you know, and it's not just a Sar Shalom thing. It's not just a Lapid thing there. This is a season in life that really challenges us, you know, challenges us. You know, it's like, wh- who are you? What are you doing? Why are you here? Where are you going? How have you been? How are you now? All valid questions to really Look ourselves dead in the mirror or alive in the mirror, I should say, and ask. Another drop point is between Purim and Pesach, which I think is kind of interesting because we know that the High Holy Days and Pesach are mirror images to one another. Because, you know, you have the first Shabbat of Nisan all the way into you know, the week of Pesach, and then you have Rosh Hashanah on this side, all the way to Shemini Atzeret. So these are mirrors. And so you have after the high holy days on one side is an issue, and before you get into Nisan, it's an issue. 
So what's this big vortex on the calendar? Well, what's going on during these times? What's going on between the time you have danced with the Torah, you've started the Torah portions anew, to lighting the Hanukkah? What is going on? You're getting reacquainted with the rubber meeting the proverbial road. You literally have been on the clouds of glory for like, I don't know, at least eight weeks. Because if you didn't know, we came right out of Tuba Av, which is right after Tisha B'Av. You know, a little, there's a little break there from the, the 9th and the 10th of Av to the 15th of Av. Okay, so you got those few days in between there. And then from that point all the way to Shemini Yadzera, you're just ramping up, ramping up, turned up, turned up to Shuva, Simcha. Man, you got expectation, man. I hope Mashiach gets here. Like, when we blow these shofar roads on Rosh Hashanah, like, tears are going to be in my eyes. I'm making Teshuvah. I'm ready for the king. And then you go and you go and you go. And then you put your Teir Sukkah down. And you've already danced with the Torah. And now you're back to none high holy days, back to the weekly Shabbat, and back to school for some of the children uh and for a lot of us who've been off of our work schedule kind of like a day here a day off now we're back to full work weeks no time off and it's just like man what an adjustment and then as you're heading up to Pesach you know you got your cleaning you're getting ready for you got your whole cleaning out the hummets you're getting like, man, I got a whole diet that's about to change. And then it's like, man, I just got out of Purim. We just dressed up. You know, we just had a good time reading the story of Esther, you know, and it's just like, wow, you know, and all the special Shabbats that come back to back to back to back to back during this time. And then it's just like, what is going on? You know, because... There's a lot of anticipation leading in on that side. And then there's a lot of not anticipation leading out on this side. So why is it on these points of the calendar that we seem to have, you know, things that happen? So um, I just wanted to bring this podcast out because this is not to point fingers and to say, oh, do you know so-and-so left or da-da-da-da? That's not the pernt. The pernt is... What are we doing? Where are we going? And, you know, furthermore, how are we dealing with things? You know, just to be super transparent, how are we dealing with being literally an army of Hashem that at any moment, any of us could be gone? What do we do with that? Well, I've compiled some verses here from Matthew and Luke, because these really hit the nail on the head. One of them I've shared on this past Shabbat, but, you know, I just want to give just even a more fuller picture because I'm just going to get to the verses because I could talk forever. Obviously, I'm just going to go to the verses, though. So, uh, yeah, OK. Matthew chapter 10, 16 through 25. See if I can do this without interrupting. And go. 
Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. Beware, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the, to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you should say, for it shall be given to you in that hour what you should say. For it is not you speaking, but the Ruach of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father, his children and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. Whenever they prosecute you in one city, flee to the next. Amen, I tell you, you will never finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A Talmud is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the Talmud to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So main thing I want you to key in off of that is your sheep among wolves that you're hated because of Mashiach's name. And so many times when we look at our brothers and sisters in different Jewish communities that are like, oh, y'all are a bunch of Christians. Oh, y'all are, you know, y'all are fake and we, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And why would you want to be doing this? It's just kind of like, okay, so you'll be hated because of my name. You're going to be like sheep, miss wolves. I need you to be as wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. One of the main reasons why I gave the whole Avengers initiative out, you know, on the podcast is because that's ultimately what it takes. It takes you understanding that you are a fighter. You are a warrior in a battle. You're you're like engaged in battle every single day until Mashiach gets here. It is a fight. We would be remiss if we didn't think it was. The cool thing is, as I got to share in the eights Hadda'as uh, drop from last week, is that this is the kind of battle that we weren't intended to see, you know, to fight it. But we were intended to, through service of Hashem and through cleaving and attaching ourselves to Him, we would have won these battles. So now we have to see them and we still have to do the same thing to win. We still have to be Avadah, which is our service, and Shomer, which is our guarding and our keeping. So as long as we're doing those things, even in the midst of what we see, that's how we're going to win the battle. And the thing is, is your superpowers help you do those things. 
you know, and so, you know, you got to fight for your service and your guarding in your relationship with Hashem. And the thing is, is as you do that, Hashem helps you because whatever you want to do, Hashem is going to help you do it. If you want to be a person, Shalom, of impurity, unrighteousness, wickedness, and just all sorts of cruel and vile things, Hashem is going to help you do it. Just like he helped the people of the Tower of Babel to do what they needed, what they were trying to do. And so it's just kind of like, okay, so we have to make sure that, you know, we understand that concept because you can easily get yourself twisted up in the game and say, oh man, Hashem is like so, so blessing me right now. Blessing you to do what? Man, I'm robbing banks. Man, I'm just stealing candies from babies. And, you know, it ain't even kosher candy. And Hashem is like, man, I'll give you some candy. It's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. You just like rob, steal, this close to killing people. And you think Hashem is helping you do that? The thing is, he is helping you do that. However, should you be doing that is really the question. So... That's not really a good barometer is that Hashem is blessing me so much to do this. It's like, all right, so where, where's our heart in this? <laughs> okay, what what are we trying to do? You know, because it was so beautiful. Before I did this podcast, I got to listen to the Musar for this week of Parashat Toldot of, uh, of Batya's Musar class. And so she was going through the whole Mita of... Uh, Emet, you know, which I thought that was funny the whole time. She's talking about Emet, Emet. I'm like, why are you yelling at me? But anyway, um, so she's talking about this whole thing. It's like, check your heart, check your motive. You know, why are you getting ready to do what you're doing? You know, and I was just kind of like, wow, like this is so crazy. And furthermore, she was talking about you have to have the right medium to measure. So how do you know if you have a right heart? Well, what's the device that teaches you what a right heart is? And I loosely say device with heavy quotation marks around it. But the medium is Torah. Torah is the only thing that's going to tell you what a good heart is supposed to look like. That's why it says you shall love Hashem, your God. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You shall be holy as I am holy. That right there is telling you, if you really want to say you have a good heart, it should match this. However, if you say you have a good heart, but yeah, you don't want to love Hashem, you don't want to love your neighbor, you don't want to be holy, you don't want to do this, uh, you know, mitzvah or whatever you want to put there from that Torah, from the Torah. Okay, so now you know you don't have a good heart. Beautiful thing is, should you choose, you can have Hashem give you a new heart if you have a heart that is not aligning to the Torah. So, just a little sobriety that we have to remember what we are signed up for. I used to have this, uh, it used to be like a little bracelet. It was made out of rubber. And one of the rap artists I used to listen to, he had a whole album called Signed Up to Die. And I used to wear this bracelet and it said, I signed up to die. 
And I would go around, you know, I got this bracelet on my wrist. I was like, man, I'm so legit. I got that. I signed up the die wristband on my wrist. Screaming, Yeshua lives. I beat the air with my fist. You know, forgive me. I was wrong for singing that other song, you know, giving my lips and minds to things that don't belong. You know, I, I thought I was going in like I was like, wow, like you ain't going to stop me. Until I was at a church service. This is how long ago I wore this because I, I was a Christian when I was wearing it. And yes, as a Christian, I, still, I still said the name Yeshua from time to time when I finally learned about it. But I wasn't comfortable with it, so it took me a minute. But anyway, um, I was at like one of these church events and the security guard was like, Did your wristband say I signed up to die? I was like, yeah, yeah, look. You know, I'm all showing it off to him and everything. He's like, boy, you hardcore. I'm a security guard and I was in the army and the, and I still didn't feel like I signed up to die. So I got out of there, you know, and now I'm doing this and I'm like, that's still a little much for me. I was like, well, you know, we're supposed to be living for God, right? And it was just kind of like the end of the conversation because it was just like, boy, you are smoking some good stuff and you don't need to share you know, because I don't want none of that. But I'm I'm thinking to myself, I, I no longer have that bracelet, by the way. But is it not true? Did we not sign up to die to ourself, deny ourselves, lose our life for the Torah's sake? Yeshua, you know, being the Torah, the voice of Hashem, you know, Hashem himself, the spirit of Hashem. Like, did we not sign up to die? Because if we did, what actions are we making? Because if we if we walk away and put the torch down and say, all right, Lapid, that's enough. I'm going to go over here and be a breast lever. I'm going to go over here and be a Chabotnik. Like you start going and do stuff like that. You've already shown that you've forgotten your purpose. Now. I know that could be seen as throwing shade, but let's stick to the facts. If you understand why you're here and what you're doing, why do you walk away from this? That's just a question. My second uh, drop here is uh, Luke 10, 21 through 24. It says, in that very hour. He was overjoyed in the Ruach HaKodesh and said, I praise you, Father, Master of the Universe, Melech HaOlam, <laughs> that you have hidden these things from the wise and discerning and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was pleasing to you. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. All right. So before this gets extra cray, I just wanted to point out hidden things from the wise and the discerning and reveal them to infants. Can we say converts? Can we say Lapid? These are the hidden things, the hidden mysteries that even the wise and the discerning don't even know. And we're a bunch of babies, literally, because. You know, before you're five in Jewish culture and and the traditional way to bring up a Jewish child, they don't learn Torah until after five because 
up until that point, they're learning bits and pieces of the Hebrew alphabet. And then from that point on, they're expected to know the alphabet and then they can start learning the written Torah. And then there will be another benchmark where they start learning the oral Torah and another benchmark where they'll start, you know, their bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah and go on even to higher levels. So I don't know about you, but I'm only seven. So I should know my alphabet by now and I should be, you know, getting into the written Torah and approaching, you know, daf yomi status, you know, page a day learning the oral Torah. But I haven't gotten there yet because I'm still seven. Um, spiritually, that's how long ago I was, I was basically, uh, crossed over from, you know, Christianity and got converted into Judaism. So yes, even though I'm not supposed to say this, but, uh, I am a convert. I'm also a Shomer man, so don't play (laughs) anyway. So, uh, yeah. Just want to point that out. We're a bunch of infants with hidden things that Hashem has given to us. And so another reason for us to not be all, you know, whatever with uh, Lapid and then just go off and leave and get all crazy in the mind. What what does the leadership think they're doing? Sar Shalom is crazy. Everybody's all in disarray. It's like, we're a bunch of children, okay, that Hashem has revealed amazing things to, and we're figuring it out. We're growing up. We're putting our building blocks together. If Hashem was really not for us, you know, like, first of all, what does that even mean? Because we're a group of people who said, Hashem, we want to take up your Torah. We want to be supporters of your branches of the tree of life which you said, those who support the branches of the tree of life, you're going to say that they're blessed. So therefore, we've aligned our heart to supporting the branches. Furthermore, before even all that, we've affirmed in our hearts that we're going to love you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our resources. Okay, so like, that's fundamental for us. Like, Of course we love God. That's why we're doing this. So not seeking any reward, being as young as we are, like that's the deal. So we cannot ever forget that. I I just think that's so important because even when I, you know, wanted to, which I I basically I did. I don't even know how I was still allowed to be a part of Sarshalom because I was like, man, I'm out. I'm going to a different synagogue. I I went, I took a Shabbat off of Sar Shalom. I went to a whole nother synagogue. I dressed up my black and white. I had my Tanakh. I had my, uh, you know, my Talit already on. I knew my Hebrew. I was like in it. I was like, man, Sar Shalom can whatever. Like I did that. And the whole time I'm over here at this other place, I'm like, what in the world? We did this better at Sar Shalom. There was more passion here at Sar Shalom. I know this person ain't talking to me while I'm listening to the reader of the Torah scroll from the Bema. I know somebody ain't talking to me right now about just whatever. Like, hey, so you knew here? Da, 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 da. I'm like, this is not the time to be talking. I am following the text. You know, like that just really got me. So anyway, all that to say, 
I definitely took my mind off of the miraculousness of Hashem. First of all, I definitely took my mind off the fact of being joyed in the Ruach HaKodesh, that the hidden things are revealed to us as infants and that, you know, not even the wise and the, and the discerning were figuring out these things. Anyway, so continuing on with this Luke chapter 10 passage says, yes, father, for this way was pleasing to you. All right. All things have been handed over to me by my father. Okay, here we go. So no one knows who the son is except the father. So for those of us who say we know Yeshua, well, the only one who knows him is the father. So wait, we're not the father. Let's read a little more. And it says, and no, and who the, okay, so no one knows who the son is except the father and who the father is except the son. So now we don't even know who Hashem is, but Yeshua does. But yet we say we know Hashem because we have the Torah. Which is one of the coolest things I ever heard in my life. I was sitting around an Arab Shabbat table. It's like, we as Jews, we don't believe in God. We know God. I was like, oh, I'm throwing everything in the house right now. I'm flipping the table. Where your kitchen at? I'm throwing your stove out the window. Like, you don't deserve to eat anymore for that statement. That was outrageous. Like, What? Did you just hear that? Like, we don't believe in God. We know God. Oh, my word. That's, man, that's something else. Anyway, I'm worked up already again. Wow. Okay, so anyway, no one knows who the Father is except the Son. So I'm specifically breaking this up because I want us to get this, that the Father and the Son are intricately connected And the only way to know either one of them is to know the other one of them, which is really the connecting point, the achad, the unification, if you will. Just like if you knew Yitzhak, you would know Abraham and you would know Abraham because you knew Yitzhak. And the only way you would know about Yitzhak is if you knew Abraham because you knew when you knew Abraham, you would know that he had a son whose name was Yitzhak. And the only way you would know Yitzhak is who he was because of his father. And then you have to know about his father. So same thing with the son and the father, Yeshua and Hashem. So it says, and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So now you have to be chosen in order for this revelation to take place. So, One of the things that as we go through these time periods throughout the year, whenever we feel challenged or hard pressed or anything, let the sobriety set in of has Hashem chosen us and then has Hashem brought us revelation? If the answer is no to any of those questions, then uh, you need to stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua and start from there. Because when you understand what being chosen is, that's Shemot chapter 19, 1 Peter chapter 2. Okay, first, the writings of Kepha. The first writings of Kepha chapter 2. Talking about us being a royal priesthood. 
talking about us being a chosen nation, talking about us being, okay, now to Kepha, talking about us being living stones built up into a spiritual temple. Like, you're chosen because you're doing the will of he who has created us. The same way when we said, not saving Nishma in the wilderness, because we said that, Hashem says, you know what? I'm going to crown you with many crowns. I'm going to make you my chosen people. I could have chose anybody out of this whole entire globe, but y'all were the only ones who said, you don't even have to tell us what to do, Hashem. We're going to do it. And Hashem was like, what? Because cause I didn't even get to tell you about Kashrut yet. And then I didn't get to tell you about the Shabbat yet. I didn't get to tell you about, you know, the Yom Tov. I didn't get to tell you about Kipa Zizi Tekel, Zanut. I didn't get to tell you about any of that. And yet you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we got you, Hashem. We got you. It's like, wow. Because cause I went to Asaph and he was like, okay, what's in the Torah? And I went to Ishmael and he was like, okay, okay, but what's in the Torah? But when I came to y'all, y'all were like, mm-hmm, yep, we'll do it. No questions asked. That's how you're chosen. And so going on, it says, turning to the Talmudim, he said privately, blessed are the Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. You know, as Talmudim of Mashiach Yeshua, that we're getting to see things that nobody else may ever get to see. Well, up until his return, but yes, we're getting to see some amazing things. Let us not doubt that okay like what going on he says for i tell you many prophets and kings desired to see what you were seeing yet did not see and to hear what you're hearing yet did not hear i think about the aliyah day all the time I'm like man i know rabbi is gonna say something about taurus for today but he's gonna say a whole lot of stuff i'm gonna be like what in the world? Like, where did this come from? You know, and it's just kind of like, okay. So I tune into the Aliyah Day. I'm following. I know he's going to talk about the tour portion. And then he's just going to hit me with all this commentary that I'm like, I have never in my life heard this before. Like, connecting all these dots. I'm like, what? My brain is shut down. Like, I just, I can't. I can't. I just can't. You know, so this is what happens when we understand that we are Talmudim of Mashiach and that Lapid Judaism is something completely different than we could ever possibly know or expect. And again, I just want to echo the the beautiful book of the who, what, when, where, how and why of Mashiach that. Mashiach is such a deep concept, so like beyond what we can know, because you're going to have all these different branches of Jews that are going to come to him. And then you're going to have the nations being won over by him in obedience to the Torah, I might add. 
I just want to let you know, I'm totally fine with saying I'm a son of Abraham that was raised up from one of those stones that was next to the Jordan River. Because I'll tell you, I was a part of the nations and then I found out about Yeshua and now I'm like, the Torah is like the most amazing thing. It's even better than sliced bread. Like, mm, 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 mm. It's like, well, Mashiach won me to this Torah obedience. So for those who are saying that Yeshua does not teach Torah obedience, stop it. Truly get some help. Anyway, my last verse here, Matthew chapter 11, 7 through 15. It says, this is what I shared on Shabbat, by the way. Now, as they were leaving, Yeshua began to talk to the crowd concerning Yochanan. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? No. So what did you go out to see? A man dressed in finery? No. Look, those who wear finery are in palaces of kings. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, even more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you, who will prepare your way before you. Amen, I tell you, among those born of women, none has risen greater than Yochanan Hatovel, Yochanan the Immerser. Yet the least in the kingdom of Shemaim is greater than he. You want to be greater than the one who has no one greater born of a woman? You want to be greater than that? Then you have to become the least in the kingdom. Which means you have to become a servant. And I know that you may quote Matthew 5, where it talks about those who teach others not to teach Torah or not to follow Torah. You know, they're, they'll be considered least of the kingdom. Okay, we're not talking about that kind of least. We're talking about like least in the kingdom like you don't esteem yourself, you serve everybody, you know, that kind of least. Going on to say, from the days of Yochanan the Immerser until now, the kingdom of Shemaim is treated with violence, and the violent grasp hold of it. For all the prophets and the Torah prophesied until the time of Yochanan. The Torah even prophesied. It says, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Eliyahu who is to come. Goodness. So at this point, Yochanan was about to die. But yet Yeshua is like, well, he's the one who is to come. What do you mean he's the one who is to come? He's about to die. Hello, I'm the life and the resurrection here. What are you guys even questioning? But anyway, little Chaye Sarah drop. I went over that in the Rivka three years old podcast. So just a caution to everyone. If you're going to crack that one open, obviously we're going to talk about all the crazy stuff with Rivka being three, according to the commentaries. Spoiler alert. She wasn't three. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, um, if you're willing to accept it, he is Eliyahu who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So to kind of, close up and tie a bow around our sobriety drop here is that if we ever ever just decide you know what Lapis not good enough everybody's crazy rabbi's lost his mind y'all don't know what y'all are doing at Sar shalom 
remember what are we here for? Why are we here? We're like the people who were with Yochanan, the immerser at the Jordan River. That was their synagogue. They didn't have an air roof. I mean, if they did, I mean, I don't know what they're going to be carrying because they're out in the wilderness. And furthermore, they weren't all dressed like in this, this like upscale, like Gucci, Chanel, uh, Dior, Dior, whatever you want to call it, Dolce and Gabbana. Like, okay, they looked nice. Okay, we look nice. But if you really want all the fancy, like, stuff you see on TV and all that kind of stuff, you ain't going to find that here, you know? And so it's just like, so So what are you going to do if your community doesn't have an Eruv? What are you going to do if your community drives on Shabbat and also pays Zadaka? Let me, let me re- rephrase that. They give Zadaka because we don't pay anything on Shabbat, but we do give. We give extra food on Shabbat. We give back to Hashem our breath that he gives us on Shabbat. Money is the same thing. He gave us the money. We're giving it back. And it, furthermore, it's not even our money. So that list that I just went through, that's nails on a chalkboard to some communities. But at the at, at the medium of what we're doing, what impact is it making on the world? You know, because we do live stream our services. And if we didn't live stream our services, how many hundreds of people wouldn't get to see a Torah scroll, wouldn't get to hear a Baruch Adonai, wouldn't get to hear Shema Yisrael? You know, like, what are we talking about? If we're making in routes for people to come into Torah and be observant, I mean, if that's not good enough, then, you know, I don't know what to say. And a, and a, another thing, too, the violent take a hold of, of it by force. You know, another reason why we're Avengers, like we have to be, because if we don't stay on our game, if we don't fight the good fight, if we don't keep drop kicking every week, that's it. We're out. That's just the bottom line. Because, I mean, if you're not, I mean, if you're not first, you're last. No, I'm just kidding. Don't don't, don't listen to that. <laughs> but seriously, though, you know, if we don't, if we don't fight, if we don't understand why we're here, why we're doing what we do, like, it's a waste of time. And we'd be better off going to the movies on Shabbat and eating at non-kosher restaurants because, you know, that's the only thing we'd have left at that point. But if we do know that we're the tip of a spear, which is what Lapid is, if we do know we're called to pray for the final redemption, called to shine forth the light of the final redemption, then we suit up, we source up, and we bring it every single week. So may this be our sobriety. May we grab a hold of the kingdom by force. May we keep our eyes fixed and focused upon the author perfecter and finisher of our Muna, knowing that the very name we bear is a name that is ultimately rejected 
by other communities and by even the whole world. But there will be a day where that name is not rejected. And there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Yeshua is Adonai. And that will be the day where Hashem is one and his name will be one. And we're praying for that day to take place speedily and soon in our days with the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. Baruch Abba B'Shem Adonai. All right, and the Tehillim for Parsha Toldot is Tehillim 36, which is Tehillim Lamed Vav. So this Tehillim has so many different pieces of our prayer, you know, that it's it's so amazing that we have this liturgy in our Siddur, and our Siddurim, that uh, we quote so much, uh, so like all the different passages of scripture and, you know, just various portions of the Tanakh uh, and things like that. So right out the gate, I'm going to go straight to verse seven. And, you know, depending on what type of Bible you have, verse seven, maybe verse eight and vice vice versa, so on and so forth. Not vice versa, sleek, huh? But, um, you know, you might have to bump it down a little bit because sometimes if you have a English Bible, when it talks about the first verse of each psalm, it says, for the conductor by the servant of David, or by the servant of God by David, as it does here in Tetelene 26, that's actually verse one, if you have a Tanakh. But if you have a regular English Bible, verse one doesn't start until verse two. So, you know, we're ahead of the game a little bit. So, yeah. So this verse 7 will match up, or it may not match up depending on what verse you have. But what verse I am speaking of, it says, Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, and your judgments extend to the great deep. Man and beast you save, O God. So what I love about this, first of all, shouts out to our Avenger, Toshia, straight out of Jukanda, Jukanda forever. Anyway, um, our Shomer version of Black Panther. So awesome. Yes, that is Mr. Wright. <laughs> That's funny. Mr. Wright is, is Black Panther. But anyway, um, yeah, his name, instead of being T'Challa, it's Toshia. And uh, his name appears in this verse. And it is literally Uvhema Toshia. This comes directly from our Mika prayer on Shabbat. I love it because when we come right out of the Shemoneh Esre for Mika on Shabbat, we say the Zit Katka prayer, which is your righteousness, which is basically this Tehillim. So, Check out what it says on this bracha. It says, this is straight out of the Siddur. As the Shabbat draws to a close, the Yehudi becomes conscious of the ebbing of holiness and the onset of the six days of labor with their relative absence of holiness and their abundance of cares. Okay, so we're going to have like this whole like, man, we're losing holiness here. And oh my goodness, we're about to have a whole bunch of trials and tribulations coming at us. 
whole lot of worries and stresses. Now, that may not be true for everybody. No, I'm just kidding. It is. I mean, the six days of the work week, oh my gosh, it's a get you some. Okay, but anyway, it says, furthermore, according to the Zohar, Moshe, Yosef, and David, Moshe, Yosef, and David died on the Shabbat at Minka time. I think it's important to note here that we saw this verse in um, in Parsha Bereshit about the blood of your brother Hevel. And let me go ahead and get the um, the exact coordinates here because I'm looking at some. Let's see here. Filter that thing out. Where my Tanakh at? Okay. <clears throat> Blood of your brother Hevel. All right. Let's go ahead and just jump right into Bereshit chapter 3. Um, boom, 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 boom. Stand by. Everything's working. All right. It's bear sheet 410. For those of you who've been shouting 410 the whole time, just now caught up with you. So, toda But anyway, if you look in this verse, you'll see the voice of the blood of your brother, which in Hebrew, kol deme achicha. Now, the first, those letters there, dalit, mem, yod, those are the same letters as David, Moshe, and Yosef. So literally, the voice of the blood of Hevel are these three individuals here that died on a Shabbat. And remember, Rabbi Griffin, with his crazy self, Captain Israel, going to throw down on the Bear Sheet series on Shabbat that you know, this death took place, according to some opinions, on Pesach. So literally, Abel was slaughtered like a Pesach lamb, or he was killed during the time that the Pesach lamb would have been brought as an offering. So that whole type and shadow of the Messiah ben Yosef character who dies before his time being offered up uh, or killed, we should say, on the Pesach. So, yeah, anyway, for what that's worth, just wanted to throw that out to us. And then if we look a little bit more, we have the gematria of 54, because mem, yod, that's 40 plus 10 plus the dalit. Okay, 40 plus 10 is 50 plus the dalit, that's 4, 54. You have ba ben, which means in the sun. So when we look at, you know, the blood and when we look at these three individuals we have in the sun and the voice of Abel's blood is the sun, which is Mashiach. So, you know, just kind of looking at that Mashiach being the sun, which, by the way, is the Vav of the Yod and Hay with the Vav and Hay. Because, again, if you look at those letters, they actually represent a family unit. You have the Yod, which is Chokmah, which is the father. You have the He, which is Bina, which is the mother. You have the Vav, which is the son, which is called Da'at, 
because Kochma and Bina come together and make Da'at, all the way down to the feminine aspect, that last hey, you have the Shekinah, which is Malkut, which is known as daughter. So just kind of looking at that, you can kind of see that also to be in the sun is to be in the Vav, which is the staff of Moshe, according to the Zohar, and also known as the son of God. So all of that uh, here we see with the blood of Hevel from Bereshit 4.10. Continuing on with this commentary about your righteousness prayer, it says that um, as such thoughts and memories dampen our spirit of the Shabbat joy, we recite three verses, each of which begins with the word Zit Katka, which is your righteousness. These verses were selected to show us how to accept the harsher manifestations of God's justice. The righteousness that is not only fair, but essential to man's mission on earth. So this is where the grace message breaks down because we never in the grace message hear about how to uh, reconcile Hashem's uh harsher manifestations of his justice you know like ananias and sapphire from uh acts that whole thing where they were like yeah 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 we're we're giving all that we you know made off the proceeds of our land to the community and it's like are you sure yes and then all of a sudden the husband struck down the wife comes in afterwards like okay so you gave everything right yeah yeah we did we gave it all and it's like are you sure yes and then she was struck down so where's the grace in that and it's just kind of like, uh, well, obviously the grace is that she had the opportunity to make shuva because her husband was kind of going for a while. And then she came right in and it was just kind of like, OK. But uh, anyway, there's this whole thing where you, you really don't want to lie about your Zadaka. So, you know, um, that gets all the way up in the feels, uh, you know, and all in our feelings. You know, it's steps on toes about Zadaka. It's kind of like. Are we truly giving the portion that Hashem has called us to give? And if we're not, be honest about it. And if we are, you know, no need to say anything at all, you know. So really, there's no need to say anything either way, you know. So let's just avoid all of that save face, as they would say, and just pay our zadaka when when we get it, you know. So Baruch Hashem. So uh, with that being said, continuing on here about accepting the harsher manifestations of God's justice says the righteousness that is not only fair, but essential to man's mission on earth. See, when we learn about the Zedek of Hashem, the righteousness of Hashem, this actually helps us with our mission because, you know, there are times in life where justice is going to be called for and it's going to seem like there is no grace in it. But it's like, well, actually... The only way to have true justice is for it to come from grace. So you have to really understand what the righteousness of Hashem is. So going on, it says that the significance of the respective verses will be explained below. Given the nature of the three verses, they are omitted when extra when an extra note of festivity joins the Shabbat. Thus, if the Shabbat Minka period coincides with an occasion when the taknun, the putting your head down prayer, would not be recited, even on weekdays, 
such as a festival or the afternoon before Rosh Hodesh, the Zidkarka verses are omitted. So in other words, if Rosh Hodesh is on a Yom Rishon, don't do the Zikadka. If it's during the High Holy Days, don't do the Zikadka. If it is during the Nisan period from Rosh Hodesh Nisan all the way through to Pesach and even uh, up till, you know, the month of Iyar, actually, don't do the Zikadka prayer. Or if there's some kind of wonderful festival coming up right after Shabbat, also don't do it. But if it's just a normal Shabbat, you know, and Yom Rishon is not a holiday or any kind of special festivity, you would do this prayer. So just a little uh, heads up on that. It says the double joy of the Shabbat and other times of gladness are sufficient to banish the fears that normally accompany the waning of the Shabbat. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. It says, if God in his righteousness makes a promise to benefit an individual or nation, his word is everlasting. Nothing can nullify his will. This is the beautiful thing because the the opposite is also true that if Hashem has actually promised some harsh decree, that that can actually be nullified if the harsh decree is based off of improper actions that we've been taking, i.e., as Yermiyahu, Jeremiah the prophet, was prophesying to Israel, repent, 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 Hashem is going to destroy the temple, everybody needs to turn from your idolatry, put that thing down, put the pork chop down, put the Christmas tree up, like burn it, don't do it, like all that kind of crazy stuff, you know, if everybody would have stopped doing that, we would have still had a temple, and we would have never got exiled to Babylon at least not in the same measure of exile that we experienced. Like eating your children, I mean, come on, that's that's pretty that's pretty intense. But anyway, um yeah, that's so awkward it just kind of threw off my train of thought. But anyway, should you make teshuva from such a uh adept and a depravity, you should know and be aware that your teshuva, our teshuva as an individual and a nation can actually mitigate harsh decrees. So, uh, but anyway, the point here that was made, though, about Hashem's promises of benefit, this comes from the Midrash Shoker Tov. So what does this Tehillim say in the commentary? I'm in the Midrash of the Tehillim, the big green book from Kehert, i.e. Kehot publishing uh they go in to saying after describing the worldview of the wicked david now begins to proclaim the truth whereas the wicked believe that god is not concerned with our earthly activities thus does not reward or punish us for our deeds and truth god's providence extends over all creation until the heavens and the skies until the mountains and the great deep. That's from Mary and Metzudot also comments on that. So when you really look at that, I mean, it's such a wicked thing that, you know, it's just kind of like Hashem doesn't care. We can do whatever we want. He doesn't care about what we eat. He don't care about what we celebrate. And it's like, well, that's what the wicked believe. The wicked believe that God is not concerned with our earthly activities. 
So that's an indictment because a big group of people that claim to believe in God, they have those statements uttered from their lips. I would hope and pray that it's only because there's a lack of education and illumination. If that's not the case, then oy, oy vey, oy to the vize. Like, Hashem, please illuminate. Please send your Mashiach. I mean, you know, I was once there at that point. You know, I didn't, I didn't know a thing about Hanukkah or Pesach or any of these festivals. I didn't know anything about Torah study, Torah portions, Aliyot, Tehillim, like, I mean, I knew about Psalms, but I didn't know they were called Tehillim and they used to actually be songs. Like, I don't know. I didn't know anything about the oral Torah, any of this stuff. And now I do. So there is hope. And that's my job and your job. All of us Avengers, we're supposed to be praying, praying, praying and illuminating, illuminating, illuminating. Uh, verse six here that says your kindness is to the heavens. Your faithfulness is unto the skies. It says that I eat throughout all of creation from earth to heaven. So Hashem is manifest all throughout nature or nature, Slika. And so we can learn his kindness, which is Chazdecha, his Chesed. And then we can also learn about his Emuna, Emunateka. So uh, that is so awesome that we can see it even in nature. All of creation shows the glories of Hashem. That's written in the letters. It's also written in the Midrash. So, a little footnote here, it says, In God's perpetuation of creation, we see His faithfulness and His kindness. For it is only through God's faithfulness, Oh, by the way, that previous comment about God's uh, chesed and His faithfulness throughout all creation from earth to heaven, that's from Radak. What I'm reading now is also from Radak. Okay, so it says, we see his faithfulness and his kindness in creation. Okay. For it is only through God's kindness that various species can survive. For example, each species is provided its sustenance in its natural habitat, as well as the capacity to retrieve it with an appropriate amount of effort. Similarly, that which is more critical to survival is more readily available. Water is more plentiful and accessible than food, which is more scarce and requires greater effort to prepare. Oxygen, which is even more critical than food or water, is most plentiful and accessible. So great is God's kindness to his creations that even the wicked ones described above are given their sustenance from God. That's Radak. So just a little stair-step process there, you know, like water more plentiful than food, oxygen more plentiful than water. I mean, this, this is kind of like, okay, you want to know the faithfulness of Hashem? That which is super critical is like readily available as opposed to things that are not super critical. Um, you'll have to work a little bit to get those things going. So I love that. That's absolutely just kind of mind-boggling to me because... Hashem allows that not just to those who proclaim him and worship him, but he also allows that to people who, quote unquote, hate him, who profane his name, who go whatever to your Torah, who punch Mashiach in the face, who blaspheme the Ruach HaKodesh, who, you know, quenches and grieves the Holy Spirit. 
all those different things. God is like, you know what? I'm still going to allow you to breathe. I'm still going to allow you to access water. I'm still going to give you the opportunity to cook food if you want, even if it's on kosher food. Because why? Because that's my kindness. And I'm revealing myself to you in hopes that you will one day make teshuva. I mean, when you really think about that, I mean, I just, I mean, we're called to that example, I think is really what's kind of blowing my brain right now, because I'm like, how, how do you do that? Like somebody truly hates you and they'll do anything in their power to kill you. And, you know, whether that be physically or in, in speech or in so many words or, you know, however that looks. And it's like, yeah, but I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to be long suffering with them. It's just like, man, I mean, that takes away the turn or burn message right there. It's just gone. It's dead. Shot down. Okay. Uh, in other words, we should be just saying turn, 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 you know, and hopefully you don't burn. And but that's never ever preached. So we'll just keep moving. All right. So the main point I want to get to with this Tehillim commentary is one of probably one of my most favorite things. And this is about davening and how we tremble before Hashem. You know, I got to share this with Hazira, the wasp, and we had a little dinner and Torah talk. It was awesome. Uh, by the way, I want to encourage everyone that when you're having dinner, do Torah talk while you're having dinner because it's like having a candlelit dinner. It's amazing because, you know, the word of God is like light, you know, right? And you're just like, yeah, a little menorah on the table. But anyway, um, if I get the opportunity with the help of Hashem to do my food fight teaching, uh, yes, I did make a drosh called food fight. And I want to share that as a podcast. And uh, it's all about how we can eat our way into redemption, how we can eat our way into the service and blessing of Hashem how we can use our eating as like one of the biggest mitzvot of our entire lives. Yep. And it all centers around the table and it like, it's just, it's amazing. I just, as far as the insights go, maybe not because I made it, but it's really just amazing because how is Hashem going to take something like food and be like, you know what? You really want to show your love to me. You really want to show that you are an, a person that upholds the Shema. Well, let's see how you eat. Let's see what you do when you sit at your dinner table. Let's see what you do when you sit at your break room table. Let's see what you do when you consume any type of food wherever you are. Maybe you're in your car taking a break or maybe you're sitting outside a picnic table. Maybe you're just sitting on the ground at a park. It's like Hashem is like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to give you this opportunity to be the Shema, not just say it. And that all happens through our eating. So, yes, I called it food fight because one of the most violent things we can do when we serve a shim is eat. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say about that. Anyway, so as I was saying, we were sitting at the table having dinner and we were discussing this particular insight because there's this thing called shuckling. Every day I'm shuckling. Shuckle. Okay, anyway, shuckling is that little rocking motion. If you watch me on the live stream, uh, I do this all the time. And it's like, boy, what are you doing up there? Okay, so some people may ask that. I look back at myself and I ask that. But while I'm up there, I'm like, man, I'm just so like yearning for a shim. 
there are so many different um, commentaries and insights onto that motion. And one of the things I want to say, because it's not particularly here, is that uh, we mimic the flame of a candle because man is a candle of the soul of man is a candle of a shem as brought down in the Proverbs by Melech Shlomo. But uh, King Solomon, because he is a composer of Psalms or uh, Proverbs, Sleka, his dad wrote the Psalms. He wrote the Proverbs. What a combo. Anyway, so that whole thing um, that, you know, our soul being like that candle, we have that that kind of flickering motion. So our body kind of rocks. And it's like as we're praying or as we're reading and studying, we're like a like a candle flame. So anyway, just a little drop on that. So here is the verse. It is from Tehillim 35:10. Totally not a part of this week's psalm, but I have to mention it because when we're talking about um, Psalms 36 for the week that, uh, you know, this is on the same page. So why not talk about it? So going to my little file here. Um, Parsha Tehillim. There's a Tehillim for each Torah portion, by the way. Yep. So this is technically not this week's. Uh, insight as far as the psalm goes but i think it's very poignant because this verse says my entire being literally all my bones shall declare god who is like you which is me okay anyway it just says me just that part so who is like you so all of our body is basically when we shuckle we're saying me just a whole bunch of me Okay, so <clears throat> how would this connect to Tehillim 36? Well, it connects to Tehillim 36 because Tehillim 36, we talk about prayer. We talk about the different portions of prayer that are in Tehillim 36. So uh, like how we talked about your righteousness uh, for with you is the source of life. Uh, it, for the source of life is with you, and in your light do we see light. We say that when we uh, don our tallit. Um, That's verse 10. And extend your kindness to those who know you and your charity to the upright of heart. That's also part of our tallit prayer. So, yeah, so, I mean, we have a lot of prayer uh, portions that are in 36. But back to 3510. So, swaying during prayer, a.k.a. shuckling. Those who are meticulous in their observance of mitzvot have the custom to tremble. So when it says tremble before Hashem, that's that shuckling motion. So we're literally trembling before Hashem. And it says this is the swaying back and forth. When we're reading Torah, thus mimicking how the Israelites trembled when they first received the Torah. Shemot 20 verse 18. You can also see Barakot 22a it says they do the same during prayer and fulfillment of the verse. All my bones shall declare God me kamoka. So prayer and Torah study, we have the, the shuckling motion. So continuing on, it says otherwise, however, or others, Slika, others. See here, here's where we get into a concept in Halakha that there are so many different halakot out there 
that the best way to observe halakha is to go with what your rabbi, your Beit Dean, has uh, deemed fit and appropriate for your synagogue, for your community. And if you're wanting to study halakha, you want to make sure it's in a discussion format. You don't ever listen. Trust me on this. You don't ever want to say, well, this is the halakha. This is what we need to do. See how my voice just got very sharp and just kind of abrasive. That literally like you're bringing down Givora. You're moving yourself away from Simka, like joy. And when that spirit takes a hold of you, you start to get like worked up in a, in a frustration and a rage. And it truly pulls you away from your insights, your illumination, because the only way to prophesy, by the way, is through a spirit of joy. So therefore, when you find that people study Halakha get bogged down by it, you'll notice that their joy meter is like in the red, like it's it's way low. OK, like a like a gas tank, like E to F, you know, like they're they're like really close to E. You're just like, oh, pull up. OK, but anyway, that's just something that I want you to know, like Halakha, there's a no win situation for anybody on that. That's why you should have a rabbi. And that's why if you Google, if you even Rabbi Google says, you know, but for specifics on this, please consult your rabbi. Like, yeah, that's a thing. There may be a general idea within the realm of synagogues around the globe that, hey, we uphold the Shulchan Aruch. And I want you to know that I have not done much insight and study on this, but not everyone does the Shulchan Aruch. Because it tells you literally how to tie your shoes, like which one goes on first. It tells you which way to wipe after you go potty. And it also tells you about how much music you should or should not listen to. And I'm just going to go out on a limb, a very big limb, uh, without touching anybody, that uh, <clears throat> there are some things that are not upheld as spoken. Furthermore, if you're having classes on studying the Shulchan Aruch, which, by the way, the full version of it with all the volumes is only available via Hebrew. So unless you speak the Hebrew, you probably don't uphold all the Shulchan Aruch. And second of all, the part that is in English is the Kitzer version, which is a condensed version. So not everything is in there. So even if you've read all of the English, which would take you a while, there's a quite a few volumes of that uh you cannot say that you uphold it so anyway this is why uh for us we observe the torah we don't necessarily say we fulfill all of it which by the way fulfilling it is really a rabbinic idiom anyway that you are rightly interpreting it but that's for another time all of that extra digression that i'm currently doing and trying to conclude is just to say when you look at what I'm about to say about what others say about shuckling, that it also holds true for halakha. Okay, that, you know, some people do things this way, which is really called a minhag, a custom, as opposed to the halakha. But the halakha should not be confused with the mitzvah or with the custom. So, Again, you you definitely want to make sure you consult your rabbi, your bait dean, your, your spiritual leader, basically, to make sure you're on the right track. And if you're not cool with what they give you, 
then, you know, either agree to it or, or, you know, you'll have to make your own adjustments, but you cannot force your way over your, or over your rabbi. You can't go, rabbi, you're wrong. Okay. If you do that, just know that is the equivalent of slandering God's anointed. He's not just a rabbi because he decided to put on a kippah and zizid and go, all right, everybody listen to me. Here's how we're going to do this. Trust me, that's, that's not, that's the kind of person you don't call a rabbi, by the way. Okay, but anyway, I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. And here we go. It says, others, however, maintain that one should sway only when reciting Pesuke de Zimra, the Psalms of Praise, which start with blessed is he who spoke and the world came into being and concludes with the Yishtabak. So that last prayer that we say right before we go into the blessings of the Shema. Okay, so yeah, that that's that whole thing is called the Pesuke de Zimra, Psalms of Praise. So uh, when you do that section, it's like, this is where you would shuckle. And it says, but not during the Amidah prayer. So when you're doing the Amidah, don't shuckle. Okay, but again, this is what some hold to. Some maintain you should only do it this way. Save for the conclusion of each blessing. So it's like, okay, don't shuckle during your prayer. But when you get to the conclusion of each blessing, then you could shuckle right there. And it says, when it is their custom to sway gently. It's like, well, don't really shuckle a lot. Shuckle a little bit right there. In regard to practice, okay, both customs are valid as long as one concentrates on the prayer. Okay, so it says, Shulchan Aruch Harav or Rach Chaim 48.3. So you can shuckle during the Sukkot Zimra. You can shuckle uh, during the Amidah prayer, you know, but the main thing is you want to concentrate on the prayer. All right. Moving on to the next piece, it says, according to the Zohar, volume three two eighteen B, we sway during Torah study because the soul is compared to a flame which sways back and forth. Although an the average person must pray loudly in order to awaken one's concentration. Ultimately, you must learn and train yourself to pray with a low voice, even the songs of praise, Suke de Zimra, i.e. not just the Amidah, and to cry out in an undertone. Whatever you chant, whether songs of praise or Torah study, you should do so with all your strength. As it is said, all my bones shall declare an outcry that is rooted in devekut. Devekut means a state of cleaving to God. And it says that an outcry that is rooted in devekut is silent. Okay. And that's from, brought down from the Baal Shem Tov. All right, just the last little piece here on our Tehillim 36, because technically that whole drop about the shuckling is Tehillim 35. I just want to go to our uh, our um, Talit Braca, where we talk about, you know, being in the shelter in the shadow of his wings. Because it says, Mayachar Chazdeka Elohim Uvne Adam Bezel Kenafeka Yachasayun. That's verse 8. It says, How precious is your kindness, O God, 
people will take shelter in the shadow of your wings. It says divine kindness in this world can be received even by the wicked. But the divine kindness of the world to come is destined only for the righteous. See, this is why Shaul would even write in chapter two of his letter to the Romans that don't you know the kindness of Hashem is to bring you to repentance? Like he literally writes that. Like if you want to say, oh, God is so merciful. God is so gracious. It's like, yes. Have you made shuva? And are you continuing to? And by the way, since I'm asking you, I should ask myself. So excuse me for a minute. I got some teshuva to make. So, you know, like I think that's uh, incredible that, you know, it's like, okay, you got this world. But in the world to come, you know, wickedness is not allowed. <laughs> so, you know, for those of us who are tired of wickedness, just tired of it, I'm out. Like if you're on that, then that's that's the Olam Haba type stuff. So that's coming soon. Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai. Amen. Okay, so this heavenly kindness is more precious and more glorious than the kindness of this world. So if we think Hashem is kind now, just wait till wickedness is rooted out and, you know, we're in the Olam Haba. It's going to be like turned way past 11. And it says the latter is transient because the kindness of this world basically is transient. The former endures forever. The kindness of the Olam Haba endures forever. And it says, hence, how precious is your kindness that you bestow in the world to come, O God. In contrast to the animalistic man of the previous verse, who can receive God's kindness only in this world? Authentic people will take shelter in the shadow of God's wings in the world to come. God is therefore referred to in this verse as Elohim, which is a Hasidic way to say Elohim. And it says, which alludes to God as judge, since it is in the next world, where people will be judged and receive their due. That's from the Radak. says, true kindness is precious, meaning rare. One should not assume that mere desire to give Zadaka is enough. Rather, it takes effort and toil to find recipients who are truly worthy. That's also cited in Sukkah 49b and Rashi comments on there or in that location. So you, you know that by us actually being Zanut, which would be really an extension of the Talit, the covering of Hashem, that what we're doing is already we're taking shelter. We're literally being in the shadow of things to come. Because in the next world, you know, we're already experiencing that shelter in the shadow uh, by covering up now. So that in the next world, we're already kind of ahead of the game on that, so to speak. So, I mean, you know, if you ever have a hard time thinking, oh, I got to wear these zit zit, oh, I got to wear my kippah, I got to wear my tekel, I got to dress as a nude, I can't have all my body out. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, because you got to realize in the world to come, you're not going to want that. <laughs> this is why in the Garden of Eden, we had a bunch of garments on and they were all light, but yet we were called naked. So what does that even mean? You know, that really, you know, in the light of Hashem, his light clothes our nakedness to a point that, you know, it's not uh, base. It's not carnal as we are now when we are derobed of our clothes. 
So we didn't used to have the the guilt and the shame that's associated with us not wearing clothes that we do now. Because the thing about walking around the world naked now, some people think that that's okay. But for those of us who are striving and pressing towards a high mark, we think, put some clothes on. I'm embarrassed for you. Like, you're killing me, literally. Embarrassment is killing. But anyway, you know, we kind of like, can can we cover up, please? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's kind of that, that whole effect. So ours and Newtonness really is the level that, you know, we lost. So the fact that we're beings of Newton now, we're, we're actually reaching back to what we lost in the garden. All right, and... The last thing I want to say is that um, extend your kindness to those who know you and your charity to the upright of heart. This is probably one of my favorite parts to say because it's just kind of like, you know, when it comes to those who don't know Hashem and one day they will with the help of Hashem, kind of like me, like one, there was a time where I did not know Hashem and I thought I did. And now you know, I'm continuing to grow in my knowledge of Hashem. And it's just kind of like, wow, am I so grateful Hashem allowed me the opportunity to come to knowledge of Him. And it's kind of like, and I want to, I want to be the same for those who are currently not aware of Him, that, you know, my perspective and my lens needs to be this verse. And so to know when I wrap myself up in my tallit, that this is what I say, like, Meshok Chazdeka, like extend your kindness to those who know you, your charity to the upright of heart. Radak brings down, extend kindness to those who know you in this world so that they will be able to immerse themselves, literally a mikvah, in wisdom and mitzvot free of mundane distractions. Also, he comments, he says, those who know you refers to the sages who engage in Torah study and performance of mitzvot, as well as the pursuit of knowing God to the best of their ability. The upright of heart engage in Torah and mitzvot with simple faith. And, you know, there are some people who haven't quite approached Torah observance yet. But they're aware of the word of God. And, you know, as they learn different Torah insights, you know, those that spark and that that fire within their heart, you know, gets sparked. You know, it, it starts to get bigger and they will eventually end up in Torah observance with may it be the will of Hashem. And so that simple faith right there becomes to those who are upright in heart, because you realize that most people who aren't Torah observant, it's not because they have a closed heart and because they're like, I hate the Torah and I don't want anything to do with it or they're anti-Semitic or whatever. It's like, no, they, they just don't know what they don't know. And, you know, we want to be people who are on their side. Like we want to help them know what they don't know. We want to pray that they will one day know what they don't know. Just like we did, you know, none Maybe some of you are fortunate to have grown up in a Lapid household, but, you know, a lot of us didn't. And now we're here. And so let us remember that as we're covering ourselves up, that we're dressing as a nude, you know, we're putting on our head coverings and things like that, that this is how we are to yearn for those to enter into the kingdom. And it's so beautiful 
that currently as a mishpachah and our, our leadership definitely being a spearhead on this, that we are to be praying for souls. Pray that Hashem will wake up the sleepers. And may it also be a fringe benefit that through all of this yearning and this prayer, that the resurrection of the dead begins to happen, you know, because that could happen up to about 300 years before the return of Mashiach. So what does that even look like? According to some uh, commentaries, uh, what's his name? Rabbi, uh, oh, blanking on his name, Pincus, something Rabbi Pincus, like, what is his name? Okay, anyway. Rabbi P, you know, uh, that's what I'm gonna call him. Anyway, P money. So yeah, so he he brings this down uh, from like Zohar and things like that. So there's some commentaries out there that talks about that. So you know, because the those who are currently quote unquote dead, they're really asleep. So some will be a, a resurrected or awoken, as we should say, to eternal life, and some will be woken to eternal shame and judgment. And we want to pray for them to be awoken to eternal life. And so, you know, may Hashem gather in the souls. May he gather in the fullness of the Goyim. And this is your Tehillim commentary for Parsha Toldot. So um, until each Pela is available to do these, uh, I will try to do my best as I come across little insights of Tehillim to drop those in to the weekly G.O of the pot uh, the parsha series Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Vekaye holam natabetokeinu Baruch atah Adonai Noten ha Torah Amen